Um, I've been part of this church since about 2009. That's when I started my ministry apprenticeship. And uh, one of the first conferences I attended when I started ministry apprenticeship with my then trainer, Kevin Kim, or who, who is still my trainer, um, uh, was this um, uh, conference in the city led by a very charismatic and, and back then very popular preacher, a U.S. preacher named Mark Driscoll. And, and during the, uh, one of the conference sessions, Mark Driscoll decided to give us 18 obstacles as to why Sydney Anglicans are not doing as good of a job in evangelism. I mean, nothing much has changed, unfortunately, in 10 years' time. That's kind of an uh, area that we struggle in. And if all of us are honest, evangelism is something uh, that we find it difficult. But we'll have a look at uh, what trusting in the Holy Spirit makes difference for uh, evangelism also in our talk. But his eighth obstacle was summarized like this, and I quote, Many of you are afraid of the Holy Spirit. You don't know what to do with him, so your trinity is Father, Son, and the Holy Bible, not Holy Spirit. Um, I was uh, sitting there thinking, you know, my first ministry uh, apprenticeship conference and asking, what have I signed myself up to? You know, trying to be trained for ministry uh, in a denomination that does not even believe in the Holy Trinity. And I just looked across to look at Kevin's face to see if he had any answer, but he was uh, concentrating too much, and we uh, didn't talk much about that. Uh, it's a caricature, of course. I don't think I have ever met anyone who really believes that's the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Bible. But if it is a caricature, it comes from somewhere. Uh, so my question is, what led him to accept such caricature? I think that's not a bad way to uh, think about the issues. When someone says something that upsets you and you think it's a, you know exaggerated caricature, maybe just put away your emotions for a little bit and try to think about you know, what led them to think or make that sort of accusation or criticism. Uh, I wonder whether you have heard similar sort of complaints or criticisms like that in your own Christian life, where people say you focus too much on the Bible and not enough on the Holy Spirit. I think what lies underneath uh, this American preacher and, and that sort of criticism is a failure to understand the union of the Word and Spirit in God's dealing with the world. The misconception is, in essence, a very similar to separating the work of Christ from the work of Spirit, which we have looked at together last week. Uh, if you remember anything from last week, uh, we learned that the work of the Spirit cannot be divided from the work of the Father and the Son, that the triune God is always working in union and harmony with one another. The work of the Spirit is to honor the Son, he is, in fact, sent by the Father and the Son in order to continue to complete the work and plan of salvation which God the Father and the Son has begun. To love Christ is to walk in step with the Spirit. To be Christ-centered is to honor the Spirit. In fact, as the Apostle Paul says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Uh, today, there are only really two things that I'd, I'd like us to take away from today's talk. Uh, first is, 
there has always been a union of word and spirit in God's dealing with the world that he has made. Second, that union of word and spirit explains the Bible that is in front of us, which we gather each week to hear and learn from. So first, uh, the union of spirit and the word. But it might actually help us to understand this union of word and spirit if we take a moment to recognize that in both of the languages in which this vast bulk of the Bible was originally written, Greek and Hebrew, uh, Hebrew, the Old Testament, Greek, the New Testament, and and a little bit of Daniel and Zechariah there in Aramaic, uh, the word spirit is ruach in Hebrew and penuma in Greek. They, They meant both either breath or wind. Uh, very often, uh, you know, as you read through the Bible, uh, it would make just as much sense to translate the phrase Spirit of God as the breath of God. And the Holy Spirit as the holy breath. Uh, that helps us to see the connection between the word and spirit more directly. You know, when we speak, our breath comes out. The word of God carries on the breath of God. The word is breathed out by God. It also helps us to see, uh, understand another feature of that connection. Uh, just as the goal of the union of breath and the word is intended to enable the word to be heard, uh, what I mean is, my breath comes out right now because I want my word to be heard. I can't speak my word to you except breathing out. Uh, the, the goal of the breath is so that the word is heard, not my breath is imprinted upon your face. I, I would not want that to happen. Although I brushed my teeth this morning, you know, I, I don't want my breath to come upon you, but I, my breath comes out so that you will hear my word, so that by hearing the word, Christ will be testified. Well, let's look at the Bible together. We're going to look at a number of passages throughout uh, both the Old and New. Uh, so if you can have your Bibles open and follow along, uh, that will help you. Uh, in learning, testing, and drawing implications of the truth in your own Christian life. You know, when we look at it together and the preacher says uh, something, you just accept it along, but by following it along and also asking questions, asking further questions that would have impact upon your life, you, you can really read, mark, and learn the truth to yourself, isn't it? So let me encourage you to do that with your Bibles open with me. Well, we get the first glimpse of this connection between the spirit and the words God speaks on the very first page of the Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God, or which you can translate it as the breath of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. And the next verse, and God said... The preparation for hearing the words by which God calls all things into being is the breath of God hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, We can leave aside the details of the creation story for a moment, but what matters for most of us at this point is this joining of word and breath or word and spirit is in the creation of all things. From the very beginning, in creation, there is a union of word and the spirit. Uh, King David picks up this idea in Psalm 33 in verse 6 when he says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, 
And in the second line, he says, by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Psalm 33, verse 6. Uh, When the two accounts of the creation of human beings in Genesis 1 and 2 are read together, once again, we see this connection very clearly. Uh, The words uh, in, in Genesis 1, verse 26, the words God says, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Well, God's expression of his will that human beings should live before him is filled out in Genesis 2. You can see kind of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 as a two creation accounts from different angles and point of view. But in Genesis 2, the climaxing words is, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Have you seen that connection before? You read Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our own image. So by his word, God creates men and women. In Genesis 2, a different sort of account is given. God breathes his nostrils into the nostrils of men and women and brings them into life. The word and spirit is joined together by God from the very beginning of creation. You cannot separate them. But the union of the word and spirit is not only in creation, but also in recreation, which we might call salvation. And I'm going to pick out two aspects of salvation in particular today, regeneration and revelation although we could have a look at all the other aspects of uh, salvation also. Turn with me to John chapter 3. It's a passage where one of the Pharisees named Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night because he was excited to see all the signs, the miracles that Jesus was doing. And Nicodemus comes by night. He's a bit scared to be seen during the day, so he comes at night when his friends uh, who doesn't like Jesus would not see him talking to him. And he says to Jesus in verse 2, No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He's a typical sign-seeker believer. Yet Jesus replies in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. After Nicodemus says he hasn't got a clue what Jesus is talking about, Jesus explains further in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Now, what is he talking about? Well, in order to go beyond mere interest in Jesus interest sparked by his miracles to real faith, Nicodemus needs something he cannot manufacture or control on his own power. That's what Jesus is saying. The regenerating work of the Spirit, which grants new life unto his soul. Uh, Without that work of the Spirit, the word which Jesus preached, the word of the gospel, would always be resisted by Nicodemus as it is with every other human being. Therefore, the saving words of the gospel, God's calling the gospel to regeneration, repentance and faith in Jesus, is tied to the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It is the Spirit who changes a person from inside and out and gives a new heart, replacing the heart of stone, uh, which prophet Ezekiel looked at, 
uh, with heart of flesh that is receptive to hearing God's word and responding in repentance and in faith. But by the same token, we could say that the Spirit of God does not bypass the Word of God or operate in isolation from the Word of God. The Spirit works in and through the Word. After all, the Word is breathed out by God. So the Word and Spirit is joined together in God's act of salvation. Well, the Word is breathed out by God, and the Word and Spirit is united in God's act of creation as well as recreation in giving of a new life, uh, both regeneration and also revelation. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 with me, another passage. Uh, Here, uh, Paul speaks of the glorious goodness of God's New Testament gospel. Uh, He's saying uh, New Testament gospel is just so much better than the Old Testament law. Now, a question arises at that point to Apostle Paul in his own context, but also it's the same kind of question that we have. The question is, if the New Testament gospel is so much greater than the Old Testament law, why is it that so many of the Jewish people that Paul is evangelizing to do not believe in this New Testament gospel? Why is it that? That same question can be asked to you. Why is it that you have understood the gospel and uh, uh, responded to Lord Jesus in repentance and in faith, but so many of your friends or some of your family members perhaps sat next to you, hearing the same message, listening to the same sermons, going along to the same Bible studies. Why is it that they have not responded to Jesus in repentance and in faith? Uh, Paul's answer is this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Verse 15, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see what Paul is saying here? Uh, The Apostle Paul, see, he preached to Jews all around the Mediterranean. Many of those who heard him knew their Old Testament story very well. And Paul gave them the final piece of the jigsaw puzzle. He explained how Jesus was the one whom the Old Testament was waiting for. Yet, time and again, many could not see it. Why? Because the veil was down. Their heart was hardened. The truth about God and his purposes could not get through because the Spirit had not yet revealed God to them in some of those whose hearts remained covered with veil. Only the Spirit of God can enlighten the eyes of our hearts and reveal the truth and salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, Only the Spirit can bring us from darkness into the light, from death to new life. And I think understanding this 
will make a difference to our evangelism rather than uh, saying that you know, our focus on Bible is actually the reason that we are not evangelizing well. That, that's very strange criticism I thought Mark Driscoll made uh, back in the day. You see, uh, evangelism is a rare thing which both us Christians and non-Christians agree. That is, we both don't like it. Right? Christians don't like evangelism because we feel like we are putting our view upon other people and we are fearful of the rejection, risking our relationships, uh, seeming to come up like a, you know, some, some widow. Uh, and non-Christians often don't like it because you're going to talk about sin and repentance and faith and how it's going to change your life. You can't have sex the way you want to have sex. You can't have live your life the way you want to live your life. Well, but we need to be reminded that the Word of God is powerful to save. It's not about us. When we concentrate upon our own ability, and when we think that evangelism is what we must do in our own power and intellect and articulation, that's when we are really scared, aren't we? Well, we need to be reminded that the Word of God is most powerful to save. It tears down strongholds and rearranges lives. The word of God can raise dead people into new life. Why? Because it is breathed out by God who created all creation from nothing. Because it's the word of God who brings the whole creation into being with simple words, let there be. And because Holy Spirit is the greatest evangelist. The Holy Spirit has not left us to ourselves. Uh, Holy Spirit is working with us, through us, and in us, and doing the work that Jesus has sent him to do, testifying about the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, evangelism is not about technique. Uh, I am deeply uh, skeptical of evangelism books that starts with how-to uh, titles, because it's not a matter of making sure you get all the words right or some sort of sales tactics. I mean, it's certainly important to make sure that you're preaching the true gospel. That's one thing I like about Two Ways to Live. I, I know um, it's been a long time since Two Ways to Live has been published, and many people kind of pass over it or criticize it as it being too mechanical. But I think one thing that I really like about Two Ways to Live is that there is a succinct and true summary of the gospel. Truthfulness. Faithfulness is the most important thing in evangelism because we are not testifying about ourselves. We are not testing about how great this gospel can make your life as if you are the center of the universe. No, we are testifying about the truth of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the end, it's not about our technique or perfect set of words that will win a person for Jesus Christ. And I'm sure you can testify that in your own Christian life. How did you come to know Jesus Christ? Is it because some amazing world-class evangelist just gave you a flawless understanding of the gospel with his proven technique and articulate explanation? No, it's the love of God demonstrated both with integrity, both in words and conduct, isn't it? The Spirit of God convicts a person of the truthfulness of the gospel and gives life, new life, to those whom he chooses through Jesus Christ. That is why um, 
you know, if, if I was Mark Driscoll and was giving criticism of why we're not doing as good of a job as evangelism, I would say the problem is that we do not pray enough. That's why prayer is essential to evangelism because it's the Holy Spirit who does evangelism. It's the Word of God that convicts people of their need for Christ. We must pray to the God of salvation to pour out his Holy Spirit upon the hearts of our hearers that the word of gospel will be received with faith and repentance. So understanding that the Holy Spirit is at work and he's the greatest great evangelist, let us be faithful and steadfast in our prayer to God. If we are spirit Christians, if the Spirit is truly working in us, I think a fervent prayer to God, asking God that his name is hallowed, that his kingdom come, that his will be done, both in our individual life, in our corporate life as a church, as well as the wider society in the whole world. That's what we would see happening more and more. To take the Spirit of God seriously is to take the power of the Word of God seriously. Speaking of the Word of God, for the remainder of our time, I want us to narrow in on what the New Testament says about the relationship between the Spirit and the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. Because uh, when I spoke about the union of the Word and Spirit, uh, most of you probably assume that the Word uh, means the Bible. But uh, one may legitimately protest and ask, uh, sure, I can accept that the Word and Spirit is united, but which Word? I think the Spirit gives a new Word to me or fresh Word to me in visions and dreams and personal experiences, not simply the Bible. And that is why uh, I think your Trinity is Father, Son, and the Bible, not the Spirit. Uh, those of you who like playing devil's advocates in growth groups, uh, you love this kind of question, isn't it? And feel free to do so in your growth groups. So what is the relationship between the Spirit and the Bible in more particularly, not just the Word, but the Holy Scriptures? Can, can we say uh, in the Holy Scriptures is that definitive Word of God um, that Spirit is working in and through? I believe the answer is yes, uh, but we'll look at uh, the passage together. Uh, it should be obvious that when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, it treats as the Word of God. An appeal to Old Testament is the ultimate proof because these are the words that God has given us. When Jesus was tempted by the Satan in the wilderness, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, he repeatedly quotes the Old Testament with the words, it is written, and that settled the matter. Those words, in each case he quotes from New Testament, are enough to answer the devil as pointing to the clear will of God. And it is just as obvious that Jesus and the authors of the New Testament books were very aware that the Old Testament was written by real human beings who were genuinely involved in what they said and wrote. Um, the, the biblical authors were not just microphones for words that they had nothing really to do with. Moses' words were really Moses' words. David's psalms are really David's psalms. And yet, at the same time, when you look at the Bible, these words are also authoritative words of God. They, come, they came from Moses or David or Isaiah, but they are just as truly word of God. Uh, 
on a few occasions, uh, uh, we see that happening uh, uh, explained to us very clearly. In Mark chapter 12, when Jesus quotes one of the Psalms of David, he speaks in this way in Mark chapter 12, verse 36. Jesus says, he, he, he's quoting uh, one of David's Psalms, and he says, David himself in the Holy Spirit said. He brings th- those two things together. David really said the words, but actually David's word was said in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of these words. The leaders of the early church say much the same thing when they quote Psalm 2, following their release in Acts chapter 4, verse 24. I quote, Sovereign Lord, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. So these Old Testament scriptures, they are really David's words. They knew that. David wrote these words, and they were preserved by David. But David said, by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the ultimate author. It is very specifically the Holy Spirit who is involved with the writers of the Old Testament in giving us the word of God. Uh, Near the end of the book of Acts, Paul rebukes the Jews in Rome with the words in Acts chapter 28, verse 25. And he says, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. So, from very early on, they had this idea that although, yeah, the prophet Isaiah said these words, it was the Holy Spirit who said those words. The union of word of the scriptures, words of the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews uh, takes this one step further, and he can simply quote the Old Testament as the words of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't even say, as David says uh, in one of the Psalms, in the Holy Spirit. In, in Hebrews 3, Challenging Christians to heed the examples of Israel's disobedience and rejection by God, uh, he writes, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, he doesn't even bring David into account, as the Holy Spirit says, and then proceeds to quote Psalm uh, 95, which we read together earlier uh, in the meeting. The ultimate author of the scriptures is the Holy Spirit. Now, if that was the case for the Old Testament scriptures, what about the New Testament that we have? Same is the case uh, in the New Testament, and this brings us to the last, uh, the two passages we read together in our Bible reading, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, it's a really helpful and important passage uh, to keep in mind as a Christian, waiting for our Lord's return. Uh, 2 Peter is all about, you know, 2 Peter chapter 3, short letter, it ends with, uh, people are mocking Christians. You know, where is the promise of his coming? He said he will come. It's been 2,020 years since he's gone. He says, no, Lord is coming. And meanwhile, what is the Christians meant to look onto? Well, the Holy Scriptures. Uh, Peter here he defends the eyewitness character of his testimony to Jesus, that what his, his evangelism, his testimony is not false. It's not cleverly devised myth. Uh, He was on the Mount of Transfiguration, for example, when the words came from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He says in verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. He heard God audibly, God speaking about Jesus. But look carefully at what he says next in verse 19. And 
We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, Peter says the prophetic words are more sure, more certain than even the words, audible voice of God he heard on the mountain. Now, we might have thought exactly uh, the other way around. Uh, How many times have you heard someone say, if I could only hear God say to me, I'll believe in the gospel. If I could only see God, I'll believe in the gospel. But Peter says, very surprisingly, no. There is actually something more sure and certain basis for confidence in the gospel than the audible voice that he heard in Mount of Transfiguration. That is the prophetic word, the holy scriptures. Just in case we don't get what he's talking about, he goes on to say, no prophecy of scriptures come from someone's own interpretation. In other words, what we have in the Old Testament is not just the work of faithful men struggling as best they can to make sense of their religious experience. No, these men spoke from God, and what is more, what made that possible was the involvement of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Scriptures is the Holy Spirit's greatest work. If you want to honor the Spirit, you pay attention to His work, isn't it? To separate the Bible from the Spirit is a really, really strange thing to do. It's to take Spirit away from His principal work. Of course, Peter was speaking first and foremost about the Old Testament, which was the Bible of Jesus' day. But you don't have to read very far in Peter before you realize uh, that he understood the emerging New Testament as scriptures too. Just as Jesus has endorsed the Old Testament in a number of ways, uh, he, he had commissioned his apostles to take his gospel to the ends of the earth until the end of the age. So at the end of 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter speaks of the way some people are trying to twist the words of the Apostle Paul in his letters, and he says, as they do other scriptures. So right from the very beginning, the words of the Apostles were read alongside of the Old Testament scriptures, being recognized that this is also the Word of God, breathed out by the Holy Spirit. But the point here is that the Spirit is inseparable from the existence of the scriptures. There would be no prophetic word, no holy scriptures without the spirit, and also no understanding of the scriptures without the spirit. Spirit is intimately and always working in and through the scriptures from its conception to its birth and new birth in our own hearts. Then turn with me, uh, finally, to 2, Peter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. It is a classic text for understanding what we have in the Bible and what God wants to do with the Bible. That's important, isn't it? It's not only enough that we know what the Bible is, but we need to understand what God wants us to do with the Bible. At Timothy, the apostle Paul's apprentice, it's, this is Timothy's ministry apprenticeship, 
and he has been uh, left to care for the church in Ephesus. There will be all sorts of challenges, Paul tells him, and they won't all come from outside the church. That's very sad and frightening, isn't it? False teachers will arise from the inside as well. And Timothy will need help if he is not to be swept up in all of that. And so he says in verse 14, 2 Timothy 3, 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Breathed out by God. Remember the spirit and breath? All scripture, uh, not just the parts where God dictated, like the Ten Commandments or some parts of the prophet Jeremiah, no, all scripture, the 66 books of the Bible, is the product of God's breath, God's spirit. It is another way of saying these words, words of the Holy Scriptures, are truly the word of God. So if you are going to take God seriously, if you are going to take the Holy Spirit seriously in the way that he deserves to be treated, then you need to pay attention and listen to his words. You see, it is hard for me to see that you are taking me seriously if you don't take my words seriously, isn't it? It's very hard to do that if you, know, you ignore everything that I say and you say, nothing personal. I love you, but I just choose to not listen to your words. You know, husband, you know, have a go at doing that with your wives. It won't go very well because words are very personal, isn't it? In fact, words cannot be separated from personhood. Uh, I think there's, there's something in language uh, which is at the heart of what it means to be created in the image of God, that capacity and inbuilt a function of human beings to relate to another person and think outside of oneself. But... but uh, it is all the more true with God because, after all, there is no gap between God and his words as there is between me and my words. Because sometimes I say, you know, I say one thing and I don't actually fulfill my words and there is a gap between uh, human words and human life. But it is not so with God. Uh, remember, the word was with God and the word was God. God never fumbles with his words God never deceives with his words. God never lies. And God never uses them merely as a way of manipulating people. That's what postmoderns say about words are. You know, words are simply powerful people trying to manipulate others to use them for his own purposes. But God is not like that because God is God of truth. And his words never lies. His words never fails. His, never, his word never comes back without achieving its own purposes. What he says, he does. What he does, he says. You cannot honor God without paying very careful attention to his word given to us in the Holy Scriptures by his own spirit. He brings his written word into being through his spirit. Therefore, <clears throat> the way to honor the spirit is to honor his words given to us in the Bible and receiving with repentance and in faith. Always opening up God's word with humble and contrite spirit, eagerly expecting to be confronted by God of our salvation, 
to be deepened in our understanding of just how glorious God is and to love him all the more, uh, to open up God's word, being taught from it, reproved by it, uh, corrected by it, trained by it, and equipped for every work. That is how the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us. So brothers and sisters, let us walk in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for breathing your Spirit into us for new life in Christ Jesus. Father, we ask that you will so pour out your Spirit into our hearts each new day so that we may comprehend the height, the width, the length, and depth of your love for us in Christ Jesus more and more unto eternity. May your Spirit take enlarged room in our hearts so that he will make us more like Jesus Christ to trust and obey every word that is written for us in the scriptures to the glory and honor of our Savior, who is worthy of all praise. In whose name we pray. Amen.